politics podcast from the Frederick News Post. My name is Jack Hogan, and I cover county and state politics for the News Post. Over the next few weeks, I'll be interviewing candidates for Frederick County Executive and Frederick County Council to help voters get to know more about some of the local names that will be on their ballots in November. It's Friday, September 9th. Today's guest is Maryland State Senator Michael Huff, a Republican who has represented Frederick and Carroll counties since 2015. Before that, he was a one-term state delegate representing Frederick and Washington counties. Outside the legislature, Senator Huff works as the chief of staff for U.S. Representative Alex Mooney of West Virginia. Senator Huff is the Republican nominee in the race for Frederick County Executive, and he ran unopposed in the July primary election. His opponent on the Democratic side is County Councilwoman Jessica Fitzwater. Senator Huff and Councilwoman Fitzwater are running to succeed County Executive Jan Gardner, a Democrat who, after serving two four-year terms, cannot run for a third, which is a rule in the county's charter. Senator Huff, welcome to the newsroom and, yeah. and in the booth. Glad to be back here. Um, to start off, would you just walk me through why your decision to run for county executive? Yeah, so I looked at it. I had done 12 years down in the General Assembly, of which, obviously, as a Republican, you're in the super minority for most of that. And first off, I'd grown a little bit tired of that in that you're you're always on the defensive and you're always you're it's hard to be pushing and doing positive things. Whereas I looked at Frederick County Executive, Frederick County Government was a place that you could do positive things. Quite frankly, the General Assembly had become a little bit more partisan in the last couple of years when I was there. It was actually more bipartisan in my earlier years. And so I look at local government as a place where you can really throw the party labels aside and you can just do good things, get things done for the people. I look at Frederick County. It's a purple county right now. It's not a red county. I don't believe it's a dark blue county. I think it's a purple county. I think it's American miniature. You got rural areas, you've got suburban areas, you got the city of Frederick. And so I think you need to have somebody that has leadership experience in working across the aisle, which I have in the General Assembly, getting big things done. And I looked at some of the folks who were running, and quite frankly, I looked at the two uh, possible people I thought had the, had the most likely chance uh, of winning, or at least two of them, Kai Hagan and Jessica Fitzwater, I thought there were people who were very far to the left. And I thought they would take the county in a direction that I didn't want to see it. And I thought they would take the county more in a direction of becoming like Montgomery County, much more far left on your local government. Whereas I think Frederick County, I think it's the best county in America. I think we have tremendous opportunity, potential to do great things. Uh, to continue to be a great county, and I want to see it stay that way. And that was probably my overriding concern as I looked at who was running. I didn't think they were people who were up to the job, and I think the county needs a course correction so that we don't become Montgomery County North. So those are those are the overwhelming things. When I was driving around, and you you know you see these farms that are coming down, and these uh, the developments that are going up. There's real high density developments. I told my wife, I'm like, this county's getting, it's turning into Montgomery County. It's turning into where, where I grew up and where I left. And so many people left because of Montgomery County and the development and the high taxes and crimes and different things like that. So I think this is a very important election for Frederick County's future. And so that's why I decided, uh, to leave the general assembly and to run for this position. And so if elected, what is your number one legislative priority? Uh, number one legislative priority, I would say, is we have to figure out for growth. That's the number one thing I get back from people is anxiety over growth in the county. We're the fastest growing county in the state. How do we deal with that effectively? I think growth has for years and years been the predominant issue locally, and I believe it still is. I think that Liberal Frederick sets a good roadmap for the growth areas, uh, but 
I think the problem that a lot of the folks that are on the other side, the smart growth quote advocates, really what they're pushing is a high density type growth. I would agree with them that growth needs to go in areas where there is roads, there are schools, there is infrastructure to handle it. But I would say that when you're growing in the county, that needs to be more suburban type growth that your high density growth should be really in the city of Frederick, in urban areas, that's where you have that. And the county itself, as it grows, really needs to stay more rural and urban, I'm sorry, rural and suburban, and that we need to make sure that the infrastructure is matching what's coming in. So, and we're way behind, we are way far behind. If you look at 270, I mean, I'm 42, about to turn 43, that thing was uh, out of date back when I got my driver's license. I mean, that road is way far behind. The, the, uh, I live down in Brunswick. They're finally building a new school. That school's been over capacity for the time that all three of my kids went there. And so I think there are a number of challenges living in a county where people want to come, which is a good thing. It's a good thing that people want to come to Frederick County. But how do we do that in a way that we grow and we don't lose our sense of community and what made uh, Frederick County unique? And what I fear is that uh, there's a lot of folks on the other side like my opponent, who are just big proponents of high-density housing. You'll end up with nothing but the city of Frederick to Rockville becomes this big megalopolis. And that's what I don't want to see happen. And so what policies do you bring to office to facilitate the kind of growth that that you just touched on? I think there's a couple things. One, we've got to continue preserving our ag land. I just finished up a tour this morning of a number of farms in Frederick County. We've got to work with those folks, and we got to do a good job of making sure that the agritourism in Frederick County, which is behind. Uh, Frederick County did not join on legislation that would expand agritourism facilities, even though much of the state did. Frederick County did not. Uh, Number two is we've got to make so that people that want to stay on those farms, we've got to have innovative programs and well-funded programs to make sure that they can keep those farms and they don't get turned over to development. So preserving our farms, number one. Number two, I think that we should just outright ban the highest type density developments for Frederick County. So if you look at Ballinger Creek, for example, that type of development, what that results in is overcrowded schools. It results in uh, overcrowded roads. And so I do not believe we should have that kind of growth going forward. We need to locate these are the areas that we're going to allow growth. And in there, we need to put the growth in so it's a lower density type suburban growth. And when you think of the areas that would be okay for growth, what places do you Well, Livable Frederick actually lays out. If you, if you look at the chart, it lays out where the growth would be. So, uh, and right now, you know, that's one of the issues that the next county executive is going to have to deal with. So if you look at Newmarket, for example, there's a whole quagmire to figure out there because there's all this growth that has been approved. And the county hasn't moved forward on it. There's lawsuits going forward. So the next county executive is going to have to try to figure out how do we get to a balanced approach to this. There's four lot. There's four different developments that are all uh, were previously approved. So the next county executive is going to have to walk through all these and try to figure out compromises to how we continue to grow and move forward without overcrowding these areas. So obviously, though, if you look at the eastern end of the county, that is an area where folks want to grow, but. Long and short of it is, I agree with Livable Frederick where it lays out the growth areas, but where I would disagree is the density that it calls for. Okay. You mentioned agricultural preservation and how that's a key facet for facilitating growth in the county. How would your strategies for agricultural preservation differ from County Executive Jane Gardner's? 
Yeah, and I think I will give uh, Jan credit. I think that she has put more money into agriculture preservation. I think it's been a priority for her, and I think we just need to build upon that. So where I guess I would have some differences is I think the county has still been too stringent as far as the the agro-tourism, the agro-building. So, for example, when they try to set up ice cream stands or they they try to set up wedding venues, Frederick County has been very stringent on that and, and been difficult for farmers to work with. And the farmers really need that extra income, especially now. I was just talking today, like I said, to some farmers. And, for example, cardboard boxes that they use to box their produce they used to pay a dollar for those or two dollars now. But you take that and almost everything they're, they're paying for, their fertilizer, their fuel, the price uh, that you're seeing at the grocery stores because the farmers are paying more for everything. And so it is still a struggle, especially in an area where it's easy for a farmer to say, hey, uh, I don't need to do this anymore. The next generation, I don't need to do this anymore. We could just sell it off to a developer and we can walk away and we don't have to deal with the struggles and the stress of running a farm every day. So for the next generation of farmers, we really need innovative financing programs in place for them, which we lack. If you look at Howard County, Howard County is actually an excellent model for how you can do that. They've got programs in place for young farmers that want to be the next generation, how they can take over. And then what we're paying to put uh, per acre farms and ag- agriculture preservation, we're behind. So if you look at what Montgomery County, Howard County, what Carroll County, what the other counties are paying is more per acre than we are. So in order to do that, we got to make sure that in the budget, we prioritize uh, agricultural preservation programs. And we can do a part of that, unfortunately. So the county raised the recordation tax, but when they raised it, and this was actually Councilwoman uh, Fitzwater's bill, they took a portion of that, which uh, we're putting a lot into ag preservation, and they took it to building more high-density housing. So there's a couple hundred thousand dollars there now that is that is to build more high-density housing. I would like to, I'd rather see that get put into agricultural preservation, just as an example, one of many. Mm-hmm. What are some of your other legislative priorities that maybe we haven't touched on? For the county? Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things that I think, if you look at the county— that is a struggle. People moved here because Frederick County is a more affordable county. And I think one of the priorities, of course, for years, everyone says, and I completely agree, is that we need to have more businesses here uh, for people to work here. But we are we have to realize we are always going to have a segment and a large segment of our population that commutes down to Montgomery County or D.C. for work. And they chose to come to Frederick County because it was more of an affordable county. Well, one of my fears is that Frederick County, in my opinion, is becoming unaffordable. So if you look at your housing assessments, have the, the housing values have risen. Because the county, over the last eight years in a row, has voted down the constant yield rate, which means they left the property tax rate flat, and they will say, misleadingly so, that they have not raised taxes. That is not true. If you look at your property tax bills, because your assessment went up, they raised your property taxes. So if you live in a municipality like I do, you're getting hit doubly hard. So uh, we laid it out one date. Mine has gone up almost $500 every single year. And about half of that, a little more than half of that, is from the county alone. So most people are paying substantially more in property taxes over this last eight years uh, than they were before because of the assessments. And if you are somebody who's on a fixed income, if you are a senior citizen, it's become very difficult. And so I think one of the priorities is to freeze and to actually freeze the amount of property taxes people were paying. And if you look at it, the last two years, Frederick County had a surplus of about $120 million combined those two years. 
and yet they chose to increase property taxes by not adopting the constant yield, which I think was something where along the lines of uh, like $20 million. It was actually less than that over that two-year period. They had massive surplus, and they still chose to raise people's property taxes. So I think, especially now, inflation's at the highest level it's ever been in my lifetime. Now is the time where we really need to look at giving people breaks uh, as far as taxes and stop raising their taxes. Okay. And so freezing property taxes, that's going to cost the county some revenue. How would you how would you balance the budget to account for that? Well, so it actually does not because the fact that if you look over the last two years, it just meant that they wouldn't have spent the whole surplus. I mean, one of the problems is the mentality, the county has been spending every dime that has come into it. The county government has grown substantially over the last eight years. So if you look at it, uh, the county population's grown by something like uh, 8% over the last uh, eight years. School population's grown somewhere like that. But the actual or the size of the government's grown 70%. It's a huge increase in the size of the government. So I think, well, I'm not talking about we need to cut anything. I just think we should just should not continue to grow at that kind of pace that the county government's been growing at. So I'd rather see that... Uh, we limit the the rate of growth. I mean, we just can't have every eight years doubling the size of county government. I don't I don't agree with that. I'm a fiscal conservative, and I'm not advocating we need to go in there and make massive cuts or do anything like that. But I am saying that I want to make government as efficient as possible. And in day one, I want to implement a hiring freeze for non-essential employees so that we can go in there and make sure that this government is operating as efficient as possible. And if you look at it, the county government has had a complete, uh, they've been so flush with cash while everyone else has been hurting. I mean, they're out there buying buildings, Oak Street, they're building memorials, uh, you know, for COVID. I mean, they're just out spending money every dime they can get. They're out there doing studies, for, uh, spending money, studying the future building of schools, which why not just, if you have cash right now, you should be putting in the capital projects, by the way. But if you look at it, the county has just had, they've been making new departments, new employees. It's really grown uh, at an incredible rate. And I would argue it's just grown too much. I don't think you need to go in there and cut. They've had, like I said, $120 million surpluses the last two years. The problem is, uh, is that they spend too much, not that they don't tax enough. All right. And uh, to follow up on the COVID memorial, so that's not something you'd want to spend money to create. Yeah, I, I just I, I just look at it as look. I would just say that as a an example of, you know, the county just having excess money and they're just looking for places to spend it instead of. How about this? When people when it was during COVID and people's businesses were shut down and people were hurting, how about we just not raise their property taxes? I think that is a more sympathetic reaction to COVID when people were struggling and they were hurting and their businesses were locked down and their businesses were locked down longer than the governor even mandated that they should be locked down. How about we just not raise people's taxes? That's what my preference would have been to do during COVID uh, with people's money is allow them to hold on to more when there's so much fear and uncertainty at the time. Uh, switching gears a little bit, uh, between January 21 and July of this year, you raised four times as much as Councilwoman Fitzwater. Uh, you received 478000 and she got 195000 What do you think explains the difference? Why do you, you raise as much money as you did? I think there is a uh, broad difference in our uh, uh, you know levels of experience. So I've been a state senator for 12 or eight years now. I was a state delegate for four years. 
I've been a very influential state senator. I've known a lot of people. I've made a lot of connections. I have a good working relationship with the business community in Frederick County. They know me as somebody who's pro-business, who's gone down a general assembly that's often pushed tax increases and pushed regulations that were really going to hurt them. And I've stood up for the business community. And, and so I don't think it's a surprise that they're supporting me. And I'm very proud of the support I have. A lot of the donations that I get are people that are $10, $25, $50, $30, um, that are people that have known me. They know who I am. They know my record. I'm a known commodity in Frederick County. I've represented every part of Frederick County with the exception of the city of Frederick. And I would say that my first job in politics I actually worked for the state senator who did represent the city. So I'm somebody who's well ingrained in Frederick County. I'm well known and I'm proud of all the support I have. I think I've earned it with my track record. Uh, State Delegate Dan Cox, the Republican nominee for governor of Maryland, is also a Frederick County resident and fellow member of the county's delegation to Annapolis. Uh, Maryland's Republican governor, Larry Hogan, has bashed Cox and said he would never vote for him. Do you support Cox to be the next governor? Yeah, so I've made the conscious decision that uh, when I left state politics that I was going to focus my energy and my time on running for Frederick County Executive. And I think that one of the things that is a difference between myself and Jessica Fitzwater, she's spending all her time talking about Donald Trump. She's talking about national politics. She's talking about all these you know, issues like abortion, guns, things like that, things that have nothing to do with being county executive. So I've made the decision that this is a difficult race that I'm taking on. It's a 50-50 split county. I've built a county ticket, I think a Republican ticket that's excellent from top to bottom. We have a police officer. We have a POW of Vietnam. We have a city alderman. We've got Phil Dacey. We've got Tony Schmelick, two formal councilmen. Uh, and so I've made the conscious decision that I'm not getting involved in state politics, and I'm focusing 100% of my time and energy on winning the Frederick County Executive and helping people at the county level because that's what I'm dealing with day to day and talking to people. Uh, I'm not talking to people anymore about the state issues since I made the conscious decision to not run again for state Senate. Dele uh, Delegate Barry Silliberti, the chair of the Frederick County's delegation, and Dylan Diggs, the president of the Republican Club of Frederick County, said to me that polar the polarization surrounding Cox could hurt Republicans' chances of winning local races, including your bid for county executive. So. Uh, regardless of whether or not you where you stand on his uh, individual race, how do you feel that Cox winning the Republican nomination for governor has impacted your race? I think that there is a conscience effort from the Democrat Party. You see this nationally at the state level to nationalize all these races. So whether you're running for state delegate, county council, county executive, to completely nationalize it, make it about uh, Donald Trump and make it up. People have nothing to do with this race. I was elected before Donald Trump. I was elected after Donald Trump. And so these people and these national people, in my opinion, have nothing to do with the race. So I'm staying focused on Frederick County. And my message is very focused locally that I don't want to see Frederick County become Montgomery County North. I don't want to see Frederick County become overcrowded. I don't want to see us become overtaxed. I don't want to see us become overcongested. And that's my message. I think it's a good message. It's a message that resonates with Democrats, that resonates with independents. And that's my focus because we have seen in the past, <clears throat> and quite frankly, the Republican Party tried to do this to Jan Gardner. They would try to bring up 
a tire to Obama or Mali when this was a more Republican county, and it didn't work. It did not work because people care about electing the right leaders locally. I still believe that. So that's the lesson that I've taken away when I watched the Republican Party fail to do that to Jan Gardner over these years, is that people looked at it. Who's the best person for the local issues? I believe the local issues right now are development, taxes, and congestion. I believe I'm the clear leader on that. That's what I'm focusing on talking about, not national issues. And if elected as county executive, I think that's the right thing, too. We don't need somebody who's focused on national issues. I will give Jan Gardner a lot of credit in the fact that she was not very outspoken on national polarizing issues. And as a state senator, we didn't really have that choice because we had to vote on those issues. But on a local level, there's no reason to engage in all uh, the national polarization stuff. And I think you bring up some really interesting points there, uh, but also noting that uh, so the former president is in a lot of ways like a litmus test for even for local candidates in the Republican Party. Uh, I mean, so we, I'd like to ask, and I think a lot of listeners and, and readers would like to know how your politics compare with the former presidents. I think people know me and I know my politics, especially my personality, is not anywhere near close to his. I think I was elected back in 2010. I started running in 2008. And so I think he was hosting a, you know, The Apprentice or something like that back then. I think he was a Democrat back then. He wasn't even a Republican. I am a Ronald Reagan Republican. That's why I got involved in politics. I grew up, Ronald Reagan was, my pre- was the president. Ronald Reagan was my hero. So I always looked at Ronald Reagan as my political icon. I, I really still do to this day. I mean, he's my, uh, so I guess if I had to say what person guided me or uh, like, I've been in office for 12 years. Trump was president for four of those. Uh, but the president that I hold up is the person I think was the greatest president in my lifetime, and the one is the role model I follow is Ronald Reagan. And bringing it back briefly to President, former President Trump mm-hmm. um, and considering the role that he does still play in the party, if he were to run again, uh, would you support him? That's a hypothetical. I think that... Um, I supported his reelection in 2020, but uh, I've been critical of him at, at times too. So I wrote an op-ed in your paper on January 6th, how disappointed I was. And so my belief is that, you know, it's just somebody who even here we're having a, you know, we're having an interview about I'm running for county executive and I'm, we're answering questions about Donald Trump. And I think that I would like to see our party move on. I think there's a lot of people who are running, but it's a hypothetical. We'll see what happens. My focus is winning on county executive. And quite frankly, I believe I will win. And once I win at that, then uh, I don't really look forward to engaging in these, you know, presidential politics or national politics, things like that. My job and focus will be representing people who are in a purple county. It's a purple county. It's Republicans, Democrats, independents. And so that's going to be my focus and not this, you know, national political stuff. A December 2021 report from the Office of Congressional Ethics of U.S. House of Representatives found that Republican uh, Representative Alex Mooney, whom you have worked for since 2017, may have violated House rules, standards of conduct in federal law. Um, In the report, a board of the OCE found substantial reason to believe that Mooney spent campaign funds on personal meals and trips, accepted gifts from a campaign vendor that included a vacation to Aruba and free use of a Capitol Hill house for event space and lodging and requested that staff members run personal errands for him and his family, among other allegations. Uh, Multiple news outlets reported that Representative Mooney denied the allegations. And and to note, you you were mentioned infrequently in in the report and 
It states that you asked Mooney to stop requesting um, that his staff members run errands for him. But can you comment on the allegations uh, against him, considering that you uh, worked for him? Yeah, well, I'd say that it would it's infrequently. I was never mentioned in a negative light at all. And that body is OCE. Basically, they make allegations against far as the House Ethics Committee. House Ethics Committee now, they, they have to look at it. So they're nothing more than allegations at this point. If you look at my record, uh, I've served for 12 years. There's never been so much as an ethics complaint against me. In fact, I helped craft the ethics law for Frederick County. So along with Jan Gardner, I wrote and I passed through the General Assembly the law about developers and how they give uh, and how they give and are not allowed to give when they have pending matters to members of the county council and to the county executive. We wrote the strongest ethics law in the state. So for 12 years, I have a record in that there's never been any ethical problems with me. And in fact, I wrote the ethics law uh, for Frederick County. Uh, and as you mentioned, I'm not mentioned at all in that report. And I would say, though, there is a contrast here because my opponent, Jessica Fitzwater, has been fined five times by the Maryland State Board of Elections for filing late reports. She failed to file a report. She failed to file $30,000 in contributions knowingly. It was in your newspaper I read that she filed a report that was missing over $30,000 of contributions prior to the primary. And she's her own chairman on that report. That is a major problem. She also has systematically through her reports, and there have been complaints filed uh, by citizens of Frederick County about this, that she has mislabeled the occupations of teachers unions, officials, and developers who gave her money systematically through her reports. So if you're looking at, you want to see somebody who has ethical problems that they have on their own, I would say Jessica Fitzwater has a terrible track record of filing false, late, and incomplete campaign finance reports repeatedly which is a major concern because either you did it uh, uh, with bad intentions or it was done incompetently. And either one of those is a terrible thing for a county executive. And just bringing this back to Representative Mooney for a moment, did have you continued to work with him through your campaign? If I continue to work for him through my campaign, actually, right as of right, I'm still his chief of staff. Uh, as of right now, I'm entering a leave of absence so I'm on a reduced schedule so I can campaign. So I've reduced my pay for that. So that's one of the uh, sacrifices I made. And I would say this. Uh, I'm proud of being a chief of staff on Capitol Hill. I've done that for five years. I'm the only person running that has actual management experience. That's a big deal. You're talking about somebody taking over and running the whole county. And my opponent, I don't know that she's ever managed anyone and another employee. So I have experience from when I was in the United States Air Force. Uh, I was... 18 years old, and I was working on nuclear weapons. I managed other people. Uh, I have experience as a uh, chief of staff, managing 20 people in three different offices. That's a big deal. You want to have somebody that has experience managing people who's going to run a whole county government. You're talking over 2,000 county employees, somebody that understands reviews, understands hiring, understanding sometimes you have to let people go, understanding chain of commands. I'm the only person running that has any type of management experience, and I actually have very good management experience, and I'm proud of my tenure as a chief of staff on Capitol Hill. All right, well, Senator Huff, thank you so much for joining us in the newsroom and, and in the booth. It's a pleasure to have you. Yeah, good to be here. Thank you.